I have to say, I am not fully Team Anderson. I am. Uh, I think that his only, like, 100% unalloyed masterpiece is There Will Be Blood. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in The Master and in Magnolia and in Boogie Nights. Um, I haven't seen Sydney and I haven't seen Punch Drunk Love. Uh, and even in this one, I would say there are interesting elements and there are, you know, there are cool visual choices and, and, and performances. But uh, I... Yeah. Opening this week's show was the Linoleum Knife, discussing inherent vice and their opinions about Paul Thomas Anderson's widely beloved filmography. That discussion and the much-anticipated release of The Last Jedi has inspired us to have a conversation about critic-proof cinema and if there really is such a thing. Welcome to Marcus Played, the movie podcast about movie podcasts and the discussions that come from them. I'm Hiro of the True Bromance Film Podcast. And joining me this evening is Jason of the Atlantic Screen Connection. Something inside me has always been there. Then I was awake. And I need help. Jason, so here we are, man. Uh, this is the first time we've recorded together for Marcus Played, or recorded the other period, actually. And uh, we're here talking about, I guess we're not really talking about it, but we're really inspired by the Star Wars film that I'm a huge fan of. I know you're a huge fan of. And we're in I a shirt right of, now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I wish I had mine on. I wish I had mine on. But that, this is exactly why you're the Han Solo of Marcus Played, I think. Which I think oh, really? uh, tonight makes me Chewbacca, I guess, maybe? Nah, I'm hairier than you are. We have to switch those roles. Look at my beard, man. Yeah, I just shaved. <laughs> you haven't seen my back yet, so. <laughs> Let's, uh, so the, the conversation that's inspired by Star Wars is uh, critic-proof cinema, So, which, as you and I kind of discussed a little off mic, there is a very, very vague topic. Yeah. But I guess the jump-off point would be you know, Star Wars particularly for guys like you and I who are I'm very very passionate about Star Wars. I love the thing. I don't really care what the hell is said about it. I'm going to go in with my Chewbacca outfit on, uh lightsaber <laughs> blazing and I'm going to have a good time uh as well I'm going to go in with extreme high hopes, um ready for a good time. And I I don't tend to do that as often with other films, you know. I I go in always positive like hoping for a good time. Yeah. But I don't you know, dress up like a savage or whatever, or come in with such fervor as I do with the Star Wars franchise. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I feel exactly the same as you do when it comes to, to to Star Wars. It's a very different feeling. It's something to get excited about. It's a whole community of people, a bunch of geeks and nerds that are actually going to go in, and probably the most savage audience as well when it comes to movie. I mean, you're not going to get a response like this when you're walking in to see Wind River. You know, no one's going to be willing. I wish they anything. did, though. I wish we did get a response like that. That's a great film. Yeah, I loved it, man. It's one of my favorite films this year. 
you know, and I, I mean, uh, it, it becomes, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's part of people's lifestyles or anything like that, but it does. It's a part of the zeitgeist. It's kind of ingrained in us more than anything else. I think like, you know, the toys and I'm raising my kids with Star Wars. It's part yeah. of the fabric of our lives at this point, for, especially for guys our age. I mean, I grew up with it, and my mom used to coerce me into uh, doing, a, you know, uh, folding the clothes when I was a kid. And I was like, hey, can I watch, you know, Empire Strikes Back? You know, I was five years old. And my mom would say, well, I mean, if you, I teach you how to fold the clothes, then, yeah, maybe we'll be able to put on Star Wars for you. And it was great because, you know, I developed a love for that. Movies, actually, that's what got me into movies was Star Wars. So it is kind of critic-proof. Um, I mean, I'm kind of like you right now as I'm going in with high hopes, but at the same time, I, I was burnt the first time when I went to watch The Force Awakens the first time. I didn't particularly enjoy it. I was there sitting as a grumpy old white guy, just no. kind of like, oh, <laughs> they didn't do what I wanted them to do, you know? But this time around, I mean, I actually sat down and did the math in my head, and this is how nervous I was going into the last I was like, I hope they don't fuck this up. I don't want them to to ruin their the good start they're off to with The Force Awakens. And at the same time, then my girlfriend was like, you know, you're ruining it for yourself right now by getting your hopes up like that. She says, it's just another chapter because she's a huge Harry Potter fan. And that's the way she laid it out for me is that no matter what comes out, that's just a part of that story. You have something else to look forward to anyway after that. So it's kind of fun for that. And you don't have that with many other movies where it's just the, the following chapter. It's the continuation of a story. And we're all part of that now. It's a story that we've grown up t- with it's something that we kind of love it's something that's strange something that you know i don't know brings us together in a certain way would you say that phenomenon is being birthed right now with the marvel movies where it's one giant story right i mean because the the individual films sort of weave into these avengers movies and you know you have characters coming in and out and all that stuff and I, I know that I've heard somebody say it before i don't have a clip or nothing like that i'm not uh, pipping on anybody's stuff right now but i know i've heard it before that the Marvel movies are could become the Star Wars films of this new age. Um, I don't that know. Same I mean, sense that it's one giant story. I think there's one thing that I, I appreciated what Steven Spielberg had said is that the superhero movies are going to go the way of the western. Eventually, they're going to they're going to burn out. I think that right now with what Disney's doing with Star Wars, there's a chance that that might happen to Star Wars as well. The fact that they're going to oversaturate the market with something that you know we used to have big breaks in between these things right i mean right, there was a, right. a series of things but now and obviously you're you're absolutely right hitting on that point you know you have that continuation with regards to you know the marvel movies and even the dc eu are they're trying to do that sadly but um with this is the first <laughs> of the this is the second time star wars kind of does that because when star wars came out in 77 lucas did have the scripts for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but he wasn't necessarily planning on making them if the movie was going to be a flop in the first place. He just got lucky. And so when the prequels came out, when Phantom Menace came out, we were like, oh, well, we didn't particularly like this one. We'll see if he course corrects on Attack of the Clones. We had something else to look forward to. You know, so I think that, you know, Star Wars did kind of pave the way for what the Marvel Universe is actually doing now, kind of setting up stories with different things. But... Uh, that's the one thing I'm afraid of is that it might actually burn out after a while. And I, I kind of when when Spielberg spoke those words, I was like, I don't think he's wrong. You know, westerns getting them off the ground today is kind of a little bit more difficult than it used to be. Right. You know, if you look back in the 30s and 40s, I mean, westerns were coming out left and right. You know, that's oh yeah, pretty yeah. Much the only thing. And I mean, it was for a time like post World War One, and it made sense for that time. You know, the idea of 
post-war films were the westerns after world war one and now we have right. post 9-11 films that are going to be with the superhero films i mean so there's something there and star wars is that too we're going to be talking about it on our podcast he's uh, kind of touched on moments in in i guess global history or american history leading yeah. to these uh pockets of films but let's be honest man when you say that uh that the star wars films might burn out i, I think that you and i will go to our deathbed uh, showing up on day one to Star Wars films, I could care less, you know, and, and that's what I mean by critic proof. I mean, for especially for this f- rabid fan base has been around since the seventies, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all going to keep going no matter what product they put out there. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was probably like the the weakest. Uh, it was a, it was a, a step back from Force Awakens. I preferred Force Awakens. Uh, yes, it was a rehash and all that stuff, but it was nostalgia porn. You know, it was a good time. You got to see the old band back together. Right. Uh, you got an introduction to a new band that I kind of like. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rogue One, you know, you, you felt the, the, the edges on that one. There was a lot of problems with character development and all that stuff. But I ended up still being a fan, you know what I mean? Showing up and day yeah, one yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Well, it's the universe that it's in, right? It's something that you've grown accustomed to. And you're like, okay, I appreciate revisiting certain individuals that are going to be part of this overall landscape that is Star Wars. Uh, I disagree with The Force Awakens being a rehash. I'm one of those people, and we're going to be talking about it on our podcast uh, sometime soon. And uh, with regards to Rogue One, I mean, I, I, I immediately enjoyed it. I think I saw it four or five times uh, at the theater, and I really, really had a great time. But, I mean, it does have its issues. I agree with you. But I did prefer The Force Awakens over uh, Rogue One as well. But at the same time, I have trouble comparing them because they're so they're, they're different beasts. They're very, altogether. very different films. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you're right. I mean, what, what is critic proof cinema though? Let's let, let's head back down that way. And I mean, is it critic proof in the sense that no matter what happens, it's going to make money, or is it just because the community is just going to try to? take it as their own and they're just like i don't really give a shit about what people say this is mine you know what i mean are yeah, we looking at the yeah. cash flow or are we looking at the, the sense of appropriation so this kind of like uh segues me into a little bit into the podcast that i brought to, uh, to the table this evening it's uh from the lonely knife do you guys live in los angeles like in this time period no no we didn't. no i was a child in the northeast but it's i it- love this movie i can't wait to see it again i could watch it with the sound down and have as much pleasure as i did with the sound up. i might have enjoyed it more with the sound down frankly because Maybe I, I i did like Why don't you try it that way i did like looking at it um yeah. and i i agree with what you're saying in terms of what this movie's about and what it sets out to do and how it sets out to do it but brother i had to have had few film experiences this year that were as agonizing where i just literally felt like if i were wearing a watch i would have kept checking it because it has. There's no story momentum, except that things get more and more dense and complicated. <laughs> it felt to me like every scene of the movie could have well been the last scene in the movie. You know, there's yeah. no. It's not going anywhere. It, it it makes you feel like you've been slipped a Mickey. Like your brain can't take it all in, and you are high and cannot deal with this movie. As a person who does not use drugs, I appreciate that. Uh, so, I mean, I admire what Anderson is setting out to do, and I fully acknowledge that there are going to be people out there for whom this movie works and for whom it says something. I was not one of those people. It's even in keeping with his earlier films. Because the, the, 
the the that thematic element of the end of an era, time yes, moving forward, and and who's going to get left behind, and who's going to move into the future, right? And and how will they live their lives? Yeah, that's in the Boogie Nights. That's there will be blood. That's uh, the master. Yeah, and now this. I have to say, I am not fully Team Anderson. I am. Uh, I think that his only like. 100% unalloyed masterpiece is There Will Be Blood. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in The Master and in Magnolia and in Boogie Nights. Um, I haven't seen Sydney and I haven't seen Punch Drunk Love. Uh, and even in this one, I would say there are interesting elements and there are, you know, there are cool visual choices and, and, and performances. But uh, I... Uh, uh, and they were talking about inherent vice, and they're specifically talking about one of them really enjoyed it, and one of them didn't. But then they get into this little bit of discussion of being on Team PTA, and right. I think Paul Thomas Anderson, as a director, has gotten to the point where he is critic proof with the film loving crowd. You know, he is the Star Wars okay. of um, good movies of of like uh, <laughs> art house cinema or whatever. He is okay. The, he is that guy. And you are on that team, similar to how we are on the Star Wars team or we are on whatever team it is. And I think that sometimes it's possible to put on our blinders a little bit and and dive into something like PTA's films and not see them as – not view them as critically as probably we could. Inherent Vice being a good example – I love PTA. I would say I'm on team PTA. I've loved 90, 90% of the stuff he's made. Um, but inherent vice for me was really hard to handle. And a lot of that is the format, the style that he threw at me. I mean, he was just twisting it and turning it. So, I mean, I guess it applies for uh, directors just as much as it does for properties. I agree with you. I mean, even like, this this is a cool one because I mean and you picked the right film to talk about in terms of like where you're gonna have a very divisive film like in Hidden Vice and mm-hmm. I'd be lying if I said I enjoyed it the first time I watched it. Uh, I remember it was a uh, I had gone with my girlfriend to see the film and when I walked I was I was I was super happy that PTA was putting out a new movie and I mean it was adapted yeah Thomas Pynchon novel that I had read and I really enjoyed and so. Then we walk out of the movie theater, and poor Leslie was like, why the fuck did you take me to this dumbass movie? And I was yeah. like, you know what? That's the proper reaction, because I caught myself nodding off during the film. Yeah. However. Yeah, I, mean, I, do, I racked out for a good bit. I had to watch it a second time. <laughs> well, the, see, I've seen it five times now. Okay. And I can't say that I enjoy it yet. You know what I mean? The yeah. thing is, is that there's a big difference. And but why I'm are you putting borrow- so much work to it then? Let me ask you this, because yeah. why are you putting in so much work to a film that it's taken you five times and you're still not enjoying it? Do you feel but, that you owe it to PTA to give his no, films a shot? No, not at all. I, I, I am. I feel this. I'm going to borrow from Ridley Scott. I, Ridley Scott once said that uh, to him, there are films and there are movies. Okay, uh, Star Wars are movies, whereas PTA makes films. Okay, so there's going to be something that's going to have some sort of um, theoretical uh, framework with which, you know, if you want to approach it from a scholarly level, you're going to be able to pick it apart and see what's going on in society at that point in time. 
Star Wars will speak to something that's a little bit larger than what PT is going for. We'll talk about like maybe contained films versus universal films. So like yeah. you'll have the Avenger movies, you know, and the MCU and all that, and that's going to speak to a mainstream audience the same way as Transformers or the Fate of the Furious, if you want to go for big ass properties. Oof. But then you'll have films like Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Shape of Water, that's just coming out right now, even Kronos and Devil's Backbone, which we covered recently, where. These are very niche artistic things that not ev- that are not meant for everyone. This is for really film crowds. Star Wars right. is for everyone. If I sit yeah. my daughter down to watch There Will Be Blood, she'll be like, I have no idea what the hell's going on. And then I have to sit there for two hours explaining why that shot was there. Why oh, he my said kids it are like going, this. And my kids are going to timeout if they don't get where There Will Be Blood. They're going straight to timeout. <laughs> my two-year-old, if you don't get PTA and what Daniel Day-Lewis is doing right here, you're in timeout, kid. <laughs> but I think that you know those those films are really made for film communities, whereas Star Wars is made for everyone, right? It's like picking and choosing between the fruit bowl and the Doritos plate. You know what are you going to take? Sometimes you're going to go for the fast food. Sometimes you're going to go for the fruit. We have to manage, mm. right? If we want to stay in shape, you got to get a lot of the good stuff too. Yeah, tough so, choices there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, with inherent vice, the reason why I. I I can't say that I enjoy it, but I understand what the mechanics are of the film. You know, having sat down, dissected it, knowing where Pynchon was coming from and why Anderson decided to adapt it at that point in time made sense. But it only makes sense if you actually sit down and attack it. That's the problem. Not Movies yeah. are not necessarily supposed to be done like that. They're supposed to be something you enjoy. But sometimes watching something no, I can agree. be flagellation. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Have you ever seen a film uh, called Upstream Color? Uh, it, we I, covered gosh. it this season on our on our uh, on our podcast, okay. yeah. and that's a movie I had the same reaction to. I watched it the first time, and I'm thinking, yeah. man, this is awesome. It looks great, but I don't know what yeah. the hell's going on. <laughs> exactly. No, idea. no, that makes sense. No idea. <laughs> So I, I gave it another shot, and I and it just it's grown in my estimation as time goes on, and for in that instance, I was able to get something in the viewing where right. it sucked me in, it drew me in. There was an artistry there on that on mm-hmm. at the at the at the very surface level that I knew that there was something in there that I had to crack. So maybe right. that's the same kind of concept for you. Like you see that it's there, you just haven't maybe quite cracked it yet. But I mean, this is something that we do for. Films that are of a certain ilk, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we don't, like, do it for Thor, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. We're not going to, like, force ourselves into this, into understanding the film and giving it extra shots. If the movie stinks, it stinks. Like King Arthur. If it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. You're just going to move along with your life. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, for having done an episode that was over the top on Fate of the Furious... I think that you can really have a, a, an interesting critical perspective on just about anything. Yeah, I guess and, so. Yeah, <laughs> but, then, but but at the same time, I mean, y- you can't bullshit yourself in trying to p- pick out what the hell's going on in those movies either. So I don't know. I think that oh, well, King Arthur is is a pretty good example because it's not a movie. It's a movie that I'll say I had fun watching at how how fucking dumb it was. You know what yeah. I mean? When you but call it's so it dumb much style fun. and all this stuff, yeah. But I mean, I think Guy Ritchie made that for a specific audience. I mean, look, yeah. I'll I'll uh, I'll segue exactly into what I wanted to talk about. You know, in terms of okay. film communities and cult status and whatnot. Uh, Red Letter Media on YouTube. I love those guys. You know, they they well, 
you know, he's the guy who put out uh, Mike Stoklasa. He put out the uh, the famous Star Wars video where he actually picked apart the Phantom Menace and showed why it didn't work versus the uh, the original Star Wars movie. Okay. And so they have a show on YouTube called The Best of the Worst, where they actually are going to pit like four really terrible movies, and they're going to vote on which one is the best of those movies. They have a really great time picking it apart, and they 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 have no shame in making like B level movies. They're like big fans of Ed Wood, even Z level movies, if you will. You know, it's, it's going to be really trashy, shitty production, and it, they're doing it on purpose. But they know that there's an audience for that. That, to me, is what Critic Proof is. Because when okay. you know who your audience is, then you can do it. On the best of the worst that I was listening to the, uh, just the other day, uh, they were taking apart uh, Death Wish 3 from 1985 with Charles Bronson. Okay. And you can send when, – when, when you listen to it, you can tell that they're just there to have a good time. He's, he's, he's really catching the wave of, of New York City and making some artisanal bullets. Yeah. Let's... This gun will make them more dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's very proud of it. Like, uh, there's a lot of good things in the action scenes of this movie, but every, every action scene with Charles Bronson is just... Rich, he's 112 years old. What do you want out I'm of him? I'm fine with it. Rich, he, I'm fine with it. If he moved any faster, his toupee would fly off. The last 15 minutes of this movie is utter chaos. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautifully orchestrated yeah. nonsense. It's kind of like the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's what you bring to the movie as opposed to what the movie is really giving back to you. Right, right. And so I think that that's a really good example of how, you know, once a movie has a community, once it finds its audience, then that's where it becomes critic proof. And if we look at what's going on with Star Wars, Star Wars already has that audience and they're already banking on it. And so let me ask you this then. Okay. Why do we put any value in criticism in the first place? Why do we need it? Why do we need to talk about these things? So why can't they just be? I'm a different beast. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can answer the question because I think that I'm a different animal here. I mm -hmm. go to so many movies and I actively want to go to see good movies, right? I, I want to avoid okay, the, yeah. the chaff. So I, I, as a parent, I have limited amount of hours in the day that I could take my ass and go to the theater or yeah, watch yeah. a movie here at the house or something like that. I've had very, very limited time. So for the movies that I not hook, line, and sinker for, or for the movies that I'm not covering for the podcast, I do reach out to critics. And by critics, I mean you guys, you know, guys that I trust um, or <laughs> folks that I have trusted for years and, and their right. opinion and that I've found that mesh with me. So I do kind of lean on criticism to sort of make or break some of those things. I take recommendations and things like that. So that right. then hopefully I am cutting down on my bad times at the theater or bad times uh, in front of the screen and, and, and enhance the film going experience. So I, yeah. I, I I don't know if I can answer it, but, but I'm sure that I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only person in the world that does put some stock still into, into film criticism. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I, I've, I went through, um, um, kind of a, a shift in how I view criticism ever since I started doing the podcast, because I used to write film reviews, but I slowly started to go down these rabbit holes because I used to love to do scholarly analysis, you know, try to bring some outside sources into why this film is working that way. But then you end up going down these giant, you know, fucking chasms of like, oh, when am I going to get this goddamn review out? It's been three weeks already. And now, like even for The Force Awakens, you know, the fact that I hadn't 
even put anything out yet after two years and I was still working on a on an essay. It was like a 14 pages. And I was like, okay, I got to stop now because this is fucking retarded. But at the same time, I mean, I, I slowly started to shift. I don't, I don't particularly enjoy reviews anymore because I know myself better than the critic knows me. So even if he liked it, doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Right. And I, so I think that that's where you have to use the text and use the opinion to kind of yeah. layer that on yourself. Right. You know, okay, like, that's yeah. what I do is like I, I take what that person's saying and, and what his criticisms are. Like, for instance, King Arthur, if right. somebody's criticizing the, the nonsense of the plot or the machinations, things like that, then I may, and, but they praise sort of the, the, the fun aspect of it. That may still right. draw me to the theater because I do place a little bit of, I guess, bonus on certain parts of a film. Like, we all have our likes right. and dislikes. We all have the things that we, treasure above others so i think that that's where you take what a person is saying and you just layer it on yourself or your own yeah. opinions and then you come to some sort of conclusion am i gonna throw my my fazuls at the at the at the uh, counter and and go watch this thing or not ah, and i agree with you i mean look i'm in a different situation than you are because i live in quebec city quebec city having english language films is a problem i don't have as many releases as you guys <laughs> know what i mean so yeah, I, yeah. i'm not gonna go pay you know 12 13 14 15 bucks to watch a dub French movie. You know, I want to see the original language. If it's in Spanish, I want to watch it in Spanish with English subtitles, you know. But most of the time, I'm going to get these dubs. Even the English films are dubbed in French. And I'm like, what the really? fuck? I don't want to pay They don't for do that. subtitles? Oh, yeah. uh, occasionally, I'll get one. But you know what? They think that Anglophones in the city here are vampires because they put them on at like 11 o'clock at night. But uh. I mean, I just put my kids to bed and I have, I work in the morning. I can't just go out yeah. to a fucking movie and watch two hours or something. You know, and my girlfriend wouldn't let me go anyway because she can't yeah. fall asleep at night. But that's a whole other story. Um, but I mean, like in terms of criticism, I- I've been leaning towards uh, Mr. Nerdista. I don't know if you've heard of him, Aguiar. I he does video of- essays. Yeah, yeah, I he heard does of video him on a pop culture case study once or twice. Yeah, Dave likes him a lot, absolutely. And I mean, the video essays he does, I like the way he dissects things. You know, the idea that he, he I think he just put one on. Uh, was it? Um, must have been Rashomon and how it's framed. And it's brilliant because that speaks to me. That talks to me about how the film is actually constructed. You know, it's not just his opinion on how it works. He's actually looking at the mechanics of how these scenes are actually plotted, framed, blocked. And I think that's kind of fun because now we're getting into the how Kurosawa wanted to actually make right. the film, the intention behind it and whatnot. Having, you know, I'll, I'll, for reviews, I'll, uh, I'll enjoy someone like Mark Kermode. Over in the UK, I think he's great. You know, he, um, I was talking to Lee earlier today, and Lee considers him the new uh, Roger Ebert. Oh, right. But from the across praise. the, uh, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I'd love to. I loved reading Ebert's reviews as well. Even sometimes you, you sit down, and you're like, "What the fuck? You did we watch the same movie? What the hell are you talking yeah. about, man?" I mean, but everybody's like that, right? Yeah, but that's it. I don't know. I I, I think that most films are critic proof now. And we're getting a big indication uh, with regards to that when it comes to uh, thing. Well, we'll talk about giant properties, maybe not like uh, you know smaller films or something like that. Okay. But uh, look at uh, what happened to Justice League. You know, for a long time, Warner was using uh, the, the 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 vitriol, the backlash from the critics to say, "Hey, look, uh, you know, uh, comic book crowd, the critics don't like what you like." You're being bullied all over again. It's the schoolyard yeah, all over okay, again. Okay, I remember right? this. Yep. 
Okay, and so the thing is, is that if you look at what happened, I mean, it just fizzled out. Justice League wasn't a flop because, you know, critics panned it. It was a flop because the audience was tired. No matter how much Warner wanted to bark and how people were saying, look what Rotten Tomatoes did again. If you have those characters in a movie and it's still tanking, then... You're, it's because your audience is tired. They're like, oh, it's the same shit again. I saw these people. I didn't like them the first time around. Yeah, I, I guess in, in that case, the audience makes up their own mind, right? I mean, but in that in that case, I believe also the critics agreed with them. You know, those movies were poorly reviewed, poorly received by critics and audiences alike. Uh, yeah. But Justice League, I think people are kind of favorable on it. I don't know. Everybody I talk to, I guess it's anecdotal a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> people no, I talked to Lee, are mostly Lee and favorable. I tore it apart, man. I think this is more. It was weird. It was weird because the backlash, like even the audience, I, there was a small group of people who were trying to start a petition. I talked about this on Marcus. I Played saw that. Okay, I, I saw that thing. Like, go see it six times or something. Exactly, and it'll like make that. its money back. And you're like, why are you encouraging mediocrity? Stop doing that, man. They're gonna yeah. keep feeding you the same shit. You know, try something new, but. I, I, I don't get me wrong. I do think critics have their place because I enjoy the discourse that comes out of it. If it's constructive, you know, yeah. uh, there are certain times that I enjoy reading Armin White's stuff. No matter how contrarian he can be, he knows how to argue a point, and I. He's love an that. eloquent dude. He's an eloquent yeah. dude, and he knows what he knows his film history. That's for sure. That's the you thing, but he's can't a take professional it away from troll. That guy. <laughs> no, that's it. But at the same time, sometimes you're like, dude, come on. You can't do that. I, wasn't he the one who took who took down Get Out? Yes, I think he was. He, I, and I also saw or listened to one him speak about uh, Transformers, like the second one, talking about as the something most, that's like fucking masterpiece as a masterpiece, like <laughs> this this uh, analysis into the human psyche type of crap. Yeah. I'm like Armand White. I know on, you're man, you're man. a smart guy, but settle down, buddy. Yeah, at one point you're like, how? But I mean, you got to give it to him because even if you disagree, you're like, why? Wow, he's hitting all the points. I mean, yeah, all right, cool. And so that's why when I ask you, like, how much stock can we put into criticism? I mean, you, you can have some guys like this coming out of left field, just throwing something at your face, and you're like, motherfucker, you made a good point, and I can't do anything about it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that uh, to I think that we you know what we should do is direct people to just listen to our criticism. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> On our, our independent shows. And and push everything else to the side. That's what I think we should do. Okay. Um, um, all right. So then let's talk about, you know what? We've been re- yammering on for about 30 minutes. I want to leave a little space here to, to nerd out with you, buddy. Um, sure, man. What, so we're recording this a little bit before the Star Wars comes out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what are your expectations, man? What are your hopes and dreams for uh, for this film? I, I, uh, I've buried those very deep. To be honest, I don't have any hopes. I just want it to be a good movie. I want it to be yep. a good chapter. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, more character development. Obviously, I mean, we, uh, you know, the, the the whole identity crisis that there was in the first film with regards to Ray, Finn, and Kylo Ren, and who they are trying to obtain, you know, finding their place, you know, uh, in all this, as Ray says in the trailer for the Last Jedi. I I really think it's going to be interesting because. Um, I want to see where these characters go, how far over the edge they can be pushed before they react in a way that we're not expecting. So yeah. I'm really hoping for that. The same way for Luke. I mean, uh, Luke is going to be a continuation of Han's arc uh, to a certain extent. You know, the fact that he kind of 
didn't necessarily go back to what he was, but he kind of was negligent towards specific things. He wasn't like Han wasn't no, the army general anymore. Uh, okay. He didn't even identify as a father. He was just went back to being a smuggler. Now Luke is a little bit of an exile. He's choosing not to be a Jedi. You know, so these people are shunning their responsibilities. And so we're looking at an older generation that feels a little bit lost. And it's about getting older to a certain extent. So I'm looking at those character arcs as well and seeing how that plays out. So, I'm expecting a lot more character development in this one and a little bit less action. And I think that's going to make it a little bit more Star Wars. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that for me, um, so the, the, all the original movies is a very f- dividing line between the force and the dark side. You know, it's right and wrong. Yeah, There's not a lot yeah, of gray yeah. area there. And the initial one sort of teased a little bit of this gray area where you have Kylo Ren sort of fighting against the good side right the good yeah, like yeah. he's inherently good but he wants to be dark and and yeah. i want to see all of this grace area you know i want to see uh luke sort of maybe uh kind of fighting some of that dark side stuff that's in him inherently or ray yeah. maybe fighting some of that stuff i like to see a lot of mumbo jumbo in there like i, I want to see star wars modernized a little bit yeah and yeah. not to go let's not get crazy let's not go too far where we're not putting away this lightsaber stuff like that but you know, our society today is 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 far more complex and far more intertwined than it was, mm-hmm. you know, thirty years ago, fifty years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd like to see it sort of mirror our society a little bit more and, and get a little more, a little more gray. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think they're doing that. It, it's exactly what it is. It's the idea of of of, of uh, uh, shedding like uh, shedding binaries. You know, we're talking yeah, about the light exactly. side and the dark side. And so, yeah, that, those binaries no longer exist. We can see it in the way we, 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 we discuss gender today. I mean, that's one of the things. Yeah. You're either male or female. And now, man, it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's feeling that goes with that. Where do you fit in and all this? You know, that's a lot of what people are doing. And so I love the fact that, the, the you know, Star Wars is actually pushing towards those directions and kind of listening. You know, they have their ear to the ground. What's in society today? How can we mimic that a little bit? How can we expand this universe and try to incorporate a lot of that? Because, I mean, look at what Star Wars started off as being anyway. You know, it was a band of misfits that were kind of a little bit of rejects in Hollywood who actually made something that was worthwhile. And it was an amalgamation of so many different, you know, uh, different races that came together. And, you know, you're looking at, the Star Wars universe, and you're like, look at that. Look at how diverse it is. And so to be able to continue that and bring it into today, yes, I really want that to happen as well. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward yeah, to it. I want to see. I, I, what are you expecting, man? You want Luke to shoot some of them, you know, lightning the out of the fingers, kind of like the Palpatine style? Yeah, man. <laughs> no, man. I don't know <laughs> what I'm expecting. I just want it to be less cut and dry, you know, veer away from the old stuff but still maintain sort of that core right. um i don't know i just you know i trust ryan johnson i've i've really enjoyed some of his films uh i joined looper i joined uh, uh i enjoyed uh, brothers bloom i really love brick brick was a great film yeah. um and obviously disney is happy with what he's put together if they're just throwing mo- money at that dude be like here make three more of of this you know if this is their prize franchise now you know um mm-hmm. here take it so i i'm 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 going in, you know, head first. I'm I'm confident going in, man. You know what? The the movie is critic proof for me. I don't care what comes out out of the embargo tomorrow. Um, I'll be there with my. Oh, you're gonna be reading to... that stuff? No, no, no. I don't want any of that stuff. I want to go in fresh. I've got date night with the wife. We're gonna go. I'm gonna try to squeeze back into my Chewbacca outfit and and we're gonna have a good time, man. The movie is 100. percent And even if I did read that stuff, I'd still go. 
And I'd probably still go multiple times because that's, you know, the way the franchise is. Well, if you made it this far, thanks for tuning in to Marcus Played. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes or your pod player of choice. And be sure to check out the podcast that we featured on this week's episode. Trust us, they're pretty good. And if you can't get enough of us, check out our shows, The Atlantic Screen Connection and The True Romance Film Podcast. And as always, you can find more of our film-related content on followingfilms.com. Thanks for tuning in, and may the force be with you. Say